0: Always laughing and loving, discerning and discussing,
1: while keeping our vision in focus. Every Friday, who are they? They are products of grace.
0: Augustine, he was on millennial. Yeah, so that should that should hold a little bit of little, little bit water. Of mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
2: Martin Luther, as he as he looked at um, Israel. Right, didn't he grow angry with the lack of like yes. fruit that was being developed, you know, that it was being, uh, just the fruit that was born in the nation? And so, did he, I mean, did he evolve over time, I guess, with his distinction where, I mean, was he, is he an example of kind of a negative replacement theology where he took the church and then he totally replaced Israel and said, Israel is totally, and in, in fact, completely hardened off and should be wiped from the planet. I mean, wasn't that really, I mean... Isn't that really ultimately where he arrived at?
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that people try to kind of uh, yeah. ignore about Luther, right? Is that like he was, yeah, he he did not have a very good opinion of of the Jews.
0: Luther's and it's it's mainly like you kind of referred to. It's in his latter writings yeah. that it really starts mm-hmm. to come out. I've heard I've heard some people kind of they've walked through Luther's life and Luther was kind of you know he was famously he had medical issues and and he had a especially some dietary uh yeah you know intestinal type issues that
2: were really really our worship him. leader calls him bubble gut okay yeah so they, <laughs>
0: okay maybe it's because he didn't use paper towels <laughs> get out Podcast anyway today, sorry go i feel like yeah. i've wandered into another <laughs> yeah. conversation all of a sudden yeah. <laughs> yeah no but i mean luther had some like serious health issues toward later life and so a lot of people have have, have you know kind of theorized that maybe that was you know plaguing him uh In his mind as well, that he wasn't thinking as clearly and that he was, you know, um, whether that's the case or not, I'm not sure. clouded. Right. I'm not a Luther scholar. I'm not sure about that. But, I mean, we have to reckon with the fact that, you know, I like to study world history and I like World War II history. Right. The Germans
2: quoted Luther almost more than they quoted anyone. Yeah. A Mm, lot um, of people don't know that. His work was co-opted to do terrible things with. Yeah. uh, Twisted. Mm -hmm. Um, So, So what's that? pastor joke about end times when you're not really choosing one and you're ultimately just being lazy. What What is that joke? I, I, I literally could not remember it. Oh, it's, really? You haven't? Oh. It's they, like. Pan mill. Pan Is it pan mill? And yeah, what does that mean? What's kind of that It'll dad joke? It'll all pan, pan out. All
0: right. To. So. Uh, I've heard that recently somewhere.
2: It was on the panel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stop. <Yeah. laughs> That's where I heard it. And I was like, sad. We expect more out of you, Dr. Mark. <laughs> Moving on. So, <laughs> so <laughs> when when we, I mean, should we as individual believers form a biblically informed opinion? Hold and, on, are we going to go back
3: to Amil? Like, have we hashed out all of Amiel? Because there's two things
2: I want to understand. Like, okay, that's fair. You know, there's two things go, I want to well, understand. It. It's all going to work out, right? I'm not going to focus my attention on it. Revelation right. is too difficult to read. And so I'm not going to form, and I'm not going to be able to stand for what I believe. And so, some people I think are just instead of forming biblical categories, they just shy away from it and leave it for uh, deeper thinkers or whatever you you, you know excuse you want to make. But I guess my question is for Absolutely. the group: is it healthy to work through the book and form a, a an opinion, right? A framework about Revelation, and and if so, why? You guys want to go first? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously I think, think so.
1: But yeah. I had kind of that view for a while of being like i mean you know it was almost like a badge of honor like i trust the lord that he's going to work it out how he wants to work Mm -hmm. it out which was just like false piety but um i i think there's a there's a different there's nuance there where you can say you know like there is there are some things in revelation that aren't the most clear and so here's my view but i'm willing to hold it kind of with an open hand and like Think about the ways that my view might be faulty, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I landed. Like I'm happily, a millennial, but mm-hmm. it, but like I'm willing to hear why you're not, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Obviously, it's important. I. What's interesting about.
3: I think I was the same, Blake. That I was, I was almost encouraged to be a pan mill, like to be a. Oh, it's going to be fine, and then. Um, I'll say the 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 number one thing that catalyzed my understanding of eschatology is is understanding that you really should have an eschatological lens on as you read the Bible. Yeah, and I didn't, yeah. I never did that. Like I always read it. You know, I read it through first. I read it through. Oh, this is moralism. Let me read it through that lens. Hmm. And then when I came to faith, I read, I read it through like, okay, well, this is God's word. But then I remember like there are a couple of moments where the 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 cohesive nature of the meta narrative. Once I understood that, like the Bible came alive to me. Mm. And then, and I think you're like me that you described uh, coming to amillennial
0: convictions long yeah. before you got to revelation. Yeah, mm. I
3: did. And, and, and I'll, so we'll get to this maybe eventually, but like John was the one that, and this was in the last three years, you know, mm-hmm. like I'd, I, I was like, I, I can argue the points, but I don't really have a, I don't have a home. And then I hit John 12 and I was like, Oh, I'm home, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about in a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you know. You, you asked, is it
0: important? And I think that's that's kind of the the knee jerk reaction of most Christians and 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 a lot of pastors is just that you know God is going to to bring all these things about. I, I would just say two things that the reason I would think it was important is number one, Revelation specifically. Mm-hmm. You know, you quoted from it earlier, but in that little prologue of Revelation, he says it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's given for our comfort mm-hmm. in tribulation. Blessed are those who hear it. Blessed are those who keep it. For the time is near. Mm. So if you can read those words from the risen Christ and say, "But I'm not going to bother with it," <laughs> then there's something very wrong with you. I'm, I'm just like I, 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 don't, I, know I don't. you right. I don't know where that where to go with that. But then the second thing too is um, we have an expectation as Christians that the Bible should just be like a coloring book that I don't really have to think too hard about. <laughs> I'm just I, again, I <laughs> again, this is something that with all I understand, people work long work weeks and your time is limited. And that you've got kids that are crying at home, and your wife and you need marriage counseling. I get you have a life, life. <laughs> and yet at the same time, you make time for the things in life that are important. Big facts. You keep up like we mentioned, the Razorbacks earlier. Right. You keep up with your team. Mm-hmm. Why would you not delve into Scripture when Christ, you know, repeated the words, reiterated the words of the Great Commandment in the in the New Testament? He said, "You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength." Um, If you were to look back to Deuteronomy 6, mind is something inferred but not explicit. What do you get in the New Testament? Christ says you worship God with your mind. Mm. Delve in and do the work. I Mm. I understand it's hard. Mm. It's hard for me sometimes. Mm. I'll be in the middle of Isaiah and Mm. have to kind of reorient where am I at, what's going on. Mm. But it's worth it, Mm. and we're called to it. So it's it's important for Christians. I think you're
2: displaying the mark of the saint, right? Which is always our mind is meditating on all the truths of God and the work should be flowing from our hands, right? And so I think what you're delving off into is like the mind is captivated by the scripture and the hand is at work in them. And that's time well spent, definitely. Yep. Um, When is it unhealthy? When you're staring more at your
3: newspaper than you are at your Bible. Amen. Well, also
1: I would say like when you have just an air of arrogance about fair. you, fair yep, mm. toward those who you differ from.
3: Mm. Yeah. Totally agree with that. I mean, for the longest time, uh, dispensational premillennialism was the fight within at least the Southern Baptist convention and Southern sure. Baptist seminaries. Like that was what you had to affirm for you to be a teacher, a professor there. Mm. I think if someone's already made the joke at your expense, you killed your teaching career with your dissertation. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's still in a lot of in a lot of circles and in a lot of
0: conservative universities and seminaries, that is a mark of Christian orthodoxy yeah. is dispensational premillennialism. It's yeah. crazy. Dude. Which and again, I have I have sympathy on those brothers yeah. historically. I get where those battles came from and, right. and where they've come to us. I think it's heartbreaking. That we would cause division over yeah. something that all of us would recognize as not a divisive issue within the church, and yet we're dividing fellowship yeah. over mm-hmm. it.
3: Um, I think that's not that it's not important, but yeah. just this is we're not talking mm-hmm. about soteriology. Mm-hmm. It always, so, it's always funny to me that we divide over issues we shouldn't divide over, and, and yet tolerate then we, tolerate and then we don't divide we on issues that we should. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: All right. So our as a uh, is the quartet of amillennialists that we'll call ourselves. Our favored method of interpretation of the Bible is redemptive historical. Yes. So my question is, and you just touched on it, Lawson, it's like, hey, I, I realized through John 12, through that lens, right? Yeah. That that's when essentially, maybe the best way to say Revelation uh, made sense, mm. or you found yourself yeah. there. Yeah. You, ha- you found an interpretive lens to understand yeah. uh, that, that uh, truth. So, I guess my question for, for all of us is, what is the... I mean, when we say redemptive historical, and that's the framework of interpretation, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Like, when we walk to Revelation and you're reading that through the framework of redemptive historical, what framework are you using? What does that look like? What does that mean? Help, help unpack that. Oh, I thought you were going to go. We can do either or. Okay. I'll Or and I'll let y'all clean it up. <laughs> or Blake. Or
0: Blake. Blake.
2: You look. Go ahead.
3: (laughs) Wow. I would say redemptive historical. I'll I'll just jump
0: in. Y'all clean up my mess. I would just say redemptive historical. It recognizes, like Lawson said, the fact that God didn't just begin having a plan to unite all things in Christ and redeem all things to Himself in the Book of Revelation, Mm. but that instead it's a plan that He has had in His mind an eternal decree from eternity past but he expresses it from the very opening pages of Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation, so that by the time we get to Revelation, what we're seeing is kind of a consummating and coming together of what we've been seeing God doing all Mm. throughout this big story. Mm. Um, If the whole Bible is a story of God redeeming a people to the glory of Christ unto himself— and we see that story developing and being consistent with itself throughout those pages so that by the time we get to the end, it doesn't counteract or contradict what's come before. It flows from that. Mm. And that's where a lot of us have come to our eschatological views. And like Lawson said, seen such richness mm-hmm. f- far earlier in the scripture. You might be in the book of Leviticus mm. and you see those redemptive threads that God's weaving mm. together to bring out uh, in the final pages. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think for me like there was a moment I remember having in my life where I thought that just works out way too easy. And then I thought right after that, no, like the author of everything wrote it. <laughs> Why would it? Mm. Like there's no there's mm. no category for it working mm-hmm. out too easy, you know. And I think that lens really helped me to see that kind of redemptive historical like that that thread is throughout mm. and it's it's, that doesn't make it too easy. Mm. Like it just means that mm-hmm. the one who is all wise planned it.
2: Mm.
3: Yeah. And maybe a case study, uh, Abraham and his offspring, right? So a case study of the historical redemptive is that we would hold most certainly that there is a historical accuracy and a historical account inside of the book of Genesis and inside of the promises that God gave to Abraham. We would even say that there was a fulfillment in the promise that near right of Isaac, Isaac's mm-hmm. born, and when Isaac's born, that's the promised offspring in a sense, but it's not the promised offspring. Right. The promised offspring is coming. And so like in 2 Corinthians, when it says all the promises of God are yes and amen, well, there were promises that they people saw the fulfillment of in some sense, but the true promise always finds it's yes and amen in the man Christ Jesus. And so as we would look at the promised offspring of Isaac, we'd say, look, God is faithful. He mm-hmm. promised and he delivered. And then we would come into the New Testament, the birth of our Lord, and we would say, oh look how faithful he was mm-hmm. he sent one he descended from heaven descended mm-hmm. from abraham and this one is the 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 one true king if we were to even take david there's a there's a promise that there will be one who will reign on the throne of david forever and then you see solomon come and it's kind of like oh well solomon it's like nope not solomon and so there's this trajectory of like, is mm. he going to be faithful? In a near sense, we see some, we see faithfulness, but in the end sense, mm. in the fulfillment of Christ, we see that faithfulness made all the more manifest.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm. So I think for me, like it's these things took place as examples for us, right? Yeah. And these yeah. things are all of those great historical old testament examples right and just like what you brought up abraham and the offspring i think of moses in the exodus right leaving egypt headed to the promised land the wilderness wandering you've got pharaoh chasing them the, the waters open up, the people go through the waters, they make it to the other side, and then Pharaoh and his bandits come in, and the water closes up over them, and, then yet, and yet still enemies chase them, right? Yeah. And so at the, the whole time they're being led by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Mm. And so when you think about these things, right, taking place as examples for us, I find in Revelation almost this great apocalyptic tapestry that sums up, all of these great examples in one massive narrative. Yep. And so for me, it's like all of reading the Old Testament helps me to build out a spiritual framework into reading and interpreting Revelation yep. correctly. Yeah, I think yeah. that's just the way I approach it. Mm. One, one of the
0: things we popped up with when we were preaching through this was just, again, right right there in the prologue, there's so much in that prologue of, of Revelation. Um, you, know, you mentioned it being a tapestry. He uses the mm. word for this is the sign God gave this, to John mm-hmm. as a sign for you, um, it, it kind of directs your mind toward thinking of a painting or a mosaic. But mm. um, but also with the fact that when Daniel was given his visions, you know, f- deep in the pages of the Old Testament, which Revelation uses so much of Danielic mm-hmm. references, mm-hmm. Daniel was told to close those things up in his mouth and mm-hmm. not speak of them. And then he's sick to the point of you know he's troubled by these things and he's he's uh, he's sick and has to go and lay down for for days mm-hmm. at a time. By the time you get to Revelation, you have again John who falls as if dead at the feet yeah. of the man he'd walked next to, mm. and yet what's he told? Open your mouth yep. and tell these things. Mm. Why? Because these things have been fulfilled. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's a
3: fulfillment passage mm-hmm. um, of everything that came before. Which I think that so that makes me want to. I don't know where you're going, but I want to go somewhere. Go. Okay. Good. So I want to. I, go- I took the intro from you,
2: but I'll give you this. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> I want to go. I want
3: to do. I want to do two passages in Revelation. Okay. I want to do Revelation twelve, and I do, and I want to do Revelation twenty. Okay, and so let's talk about Revelation twelve uh, because for me, like as much as I I, I hold to all of the things that would naturally land you an all but I I'm I'm an exegetical guy. It's like I want show me in the Bible, right? Um, and so Revelation twelve for me, um, the casting down of Satan. Yeah, your dissertation is largely on this, yeah? Mm-hmm. All right, so walk me through this passage. I'm assuming that you wrote it from an millennial perspective, which would be your perspective, I would assume. And so walk me through this passage, because this, this passage is the benchmark for me. This is the one that landed me at amillennialism in an exegetical way. Yeah. So help me out.
0: So, I mean, just to, just to kind of drop us into the passage, so if you look at like Revelation 12 through 14 is where most people would kind of situate this passage, right? You've yeah. got. Um, these three chapters giving a, you know, I'll use the the term recapitulation, a retelling of the story of the time between Christ's first and second comings. Yeah. So we're getting that kind of picture in Revelation 12. Well, Revelation 12 kind of gives it from two different perspectives. Um, you mentioned verse 7. Verse 7 is kind of starting that perspective back. Yeah, and He talks about the war rising in heaven. Michael and his archangels here representing uh, Michael always being that representative of either Israel in the Old Testament or of, of, of God himself mm-hmm. um, doing battle on behalf of God. And he's fighting against the dragon. You have the dragon being thrown down. Um, so if you were to watch one of those those movies that, you know, Don, you and I were, were referencing earlier and you come to Revelation 12 and the dragon's thrown down, um, it's going to be something in the future. To me, when I wrote, you know, I wrote my dissertation on Satan having been defeated now, mm-hmm. and I didn't get to Revelation until one of the latter chapters, and I did that on purpose, just for the simple fact that if Satan's defeated now, and if the New Testament consistently tells us that Satan's defeated now, then by the time we get to Revelation chapter twelve, you're going to read that in a different light. Yeah. If right now he's being defeated. Um, so long before I got there, I went to places, you know, John 12, yep. says that now will the ruler, the mm-hmm. Archon Hakosmos, the, or yeah, the, anyway, I should have just kept on going. You <laughs> wouldn't have known I messed up the Greek there, but the, the Archon of this world, he's yeah. been cast down now. And then it repeats that in, in John 14 and 16. Um, you've got Colossians two, Hebrews two. It talks about this now and present defeat. But I think the one that's really good for Revelation twelve is you get this same language from Christ in Luke ten eighteen. Mm. So, in like Luke ten eighteen, um, Christ has sent out his disciples. It's that massive commissioning. He he gathers the seventy or seventy two together. Mm-hmm. He commissions about two by two. They come back and they're reporting. They're saying, you know, Christ, we we've been healing. We've mm-hmm. been we've been casting out demons in your name. Mm-hmm. And and Christ tells them. I am seeing Satan fall from heaven like Mm -hmm. lightning. It's kind of how the text reads Mm -hmm. there. In other words, in the ministry that Christ was enacting here on earth, when he was walking on this earth and giving that power to his disciples to go in his name and do what he said was even better works or greater works Mm -hmm. than I will do. Mm -hmm. um, He says, in that context, I'm seeing Satan fall from heaven. Mm -hmm. It's because Satan now, John 12, 31 is defeated Um, so that by the time you get to revelation chapter 12 and you read about this dragon having been thrown down who accused them day and night before god you read all the promises of the new testament summed up in that passage Mm -hmm. he's thrown down not so we don't experience hardship because that's what most people think right if satan's thrown down why am i suffering why does my why does my grandfather have cancer yeah why did my wife leave me yeah um, sin, and even Satan's desperate, defeated attacks still exist in this world. But mm. what can he not do? Well, he can't accuse us, according to this passage. Yeah. He can't separate us from the love of Christ, mm. and he can't prevent the gospel spread. Mm. And you've had all of those promises repeated again and again before you ever got yeah, to Revelation Yeah, he's angry 20s. and lashing
2: out because he knows his time is short, right? Yeah. I mean, ultimately. What's the most dangerous
0: wild animal? It's the one that's mortally wounded, yeah. right? Yeah. When mm. the fox is mortally wounded, that's when he's the fiercest. Mm. And, uh, and yeah, and that's the picture that this paints. And that's, again, why if we focus on that dragon, um, we get a little bit wayward with our thinking. Yeah. We're supposed to focus on the lamb who's victorious over yeah, the dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, I thought this was massively helpful with eschatology just because if we get Satan's defeat right, if Christ on earth spent so much time talking about the fact that he had defeated Satan not in the future but right then in yeah. his ministry um it makes us read the new testament differently yeah. and I, just, I honestly it was my belief that most christians have never really wrestled with that if you were to ask a christian did christ defeat satan in his in his earthly ministry yes and amen what does that mean yeah well it means i'm saved but past that i have no idea and it doesn't mm. seem like he is yeah. and i'm sure not reading the the scripture in light
3: of it which even then so. like when i hear when i hear christians talk often there's still this language of like the devil's unique authority and a power in the world. And it's like, obviously we have passages like Ephesians two, that make reference to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But to understand that he, his power is so, so nullified Mm -hmm. by the finished work of Christ that, that it just like, is he a foe? Yes. But we, you must treat him as a defeated foe. Yeah. Um, and just think about the way because you mentioned the Old Testament narrative and
0: how it leads up to the New Testament so if you just look at like how is Satan portrayed because he's not portrayed a lot no scripture doesn't speak you know often and and at length about Satan for good reason but if you just think about his appearances in the Old Testament um, you know you've got Job 1 and 2 Satan strolls into the throne room of God Mm. just I mean just think
3: about that he strolls
0: into the throne room of God and accuses God's children Mm -hmm. yeah with it, with impunity. Yeah. Uh Zechariah chapter 3, he stands in the throne room of God and again accuses Israel and their representative Joshua the high mm-hmm. priest. What changed in the aftermath of Christ's first coming? He cannot yep. accuse the brethren and yeah. he cannot stand in heaven because yeah. he's been cast down. Yeah. There is no room for him in God's mm-hmm. courts and there's no accusation to be levied against God's children yep. Romans 8. And Jude
2: records that he he uh he said Moses didn't belong there, right? right? In 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 yeah. in, uh, in Abraham's bosom. I mean, right. he he has been that accuser. To your point, up until his defeat. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's beautiful. So I want to I want to look at this one too, but kind
3: of on this because so going on yes. and going on in Revelation twelve. Um, so Revelation twelve, obviously, like well, like we've mentioned, it says. Um, In verse nine, and the great dragon was thrown down the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Listen to this, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love that they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. So everything that we just discussed is really anchored in this passage. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that that just I'll never forget working through John twelve thirty one and saying, "I've got to know my eschatology now." Because I could not get away from John 12 being the, having its, its really eternal scene laid out in Revelation 12. Yeah, yeah. Because in Revelation 12, this language of the serpent being cast down, this language of the accuser being cast out. And then verse 11, which I always hear kind of articulated in an abstract. It's like, oh, but we conquer by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. It's like, bro, that's the cross. Yes, The cross is where that took place at the cross. We have a conquering. We are more than conquerors there. And you are not more than a conqueror anywhere, but there. Mm. Um, and so it's like that pronouncement. The one other thing that this is, this is, this is the church victorious, right? We talked about the church militant earlier, but I want to, I want to come back to the church victorious because here is where you see that work of Christ, um, really applied to the church and this idea of a church that will not be conquered. So verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down to the sea, he pursued the woman. Do you hold that The woman is the church here.
2: Yes. Okay. Me too.
3: Um, Who had, who had had given birth to the male child, but the woman was given the two wings of the great Eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a times. Y'all, this is hilarious to me. Like this serpent's been cast down. He's like, I'll get the church. And God's like, I'll give her wings. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and he's already, God's already demonstrating the example yeah. in the Old Testament that yeah. what happened in the wilderness was his futility. Yep, yep, yep. absolutely. I mean, it's like... I,
3: Here, let me show I you li- reverse, though. You're going to love this. No. I don't know. I don't, I'll, I'll leave you alone. Uh, listen to this. The serpent, listen to this. It's so funny. So the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help to the help of the woman and the earth opened it, opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. He tried to be he tried to conquer like Pharaoh. God yeah. so said, no, 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 I'll open the earth. Absolutely. Absolutely. You want to use my water yeah, yeah, like no. I use it against yeah, you? Yeah. <laughs> I'll open the earth. You're yeah. not. there, is, And that's the beauty of <laughs> Sovereign this. Sovereign God over all things. Yeah, creatures. yeah. It's <laughs> like, this <laughs> is, this Who is do do you mine. you think you are? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just beautiful. like, the beauty of this is Christ has conquered and the church will live. It that's is right. the only mm-hmm. eternal establishment
2: yeah. because it's founded and on the world. guess who's in control of, of the times, times, and half? and ha- God is. Yeah, absolutely. All right, where are you going? Sorry. No, I was just going to add on
0: to what you were saying, just as far as like it being Christ's uh, blood, you know th- that the that the saints conquer by the blood of the Lamb. Christ's atoning sacrifice and the word of their testimony. The reason I think this doesn't click with most Christians is we don't we expect to win differently than Christ won. Yeah. So when Christians think about winning, and again, this this is when eschatology irritates me. When your eschatology includes you avoiding suffering and hardship and tribulation, um, you being removed from the sin and evils of this world. You're not you're not being victorious the way Christ was victorious. Mm-hmm. If we're following in the footsteps of our master, how did Christ win? He won through a bloody, nail-stained cross. Yeah. That's that was the method of his victory was being humiliated, mm-hmm. downtrodden, uh, and made to be sin for those or uh, him who knew no sin being made to be sin for our salvation. Mm-hmm. So if we're, if we're following in his footsteps, our way of conquering is going to sound a lot
3: like that, the yeah. blood of his testimony. Mm-hmm for you have not resisted into the shedding of blood. I'll never forget Don and I talked about this a long time ago and I remember thinking like almost everybody's kind of like oh we're waiting for something it's like no 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 it's a it's a war that comes through suffering it comes yeah. through trial striving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um all right. Any, I
2: have one you, so I, I got I got Revelation 20 coming up and that's it. Okay, so I want to get in the I want to get in the middle of that. <laughs> all right, so <laughs> Revelation if you look at So obviously, what he just walked through is the woman and the dragon, Mm -hmm. right? And then in thirteen, you have the first beast. The first beast is uh, slain. Then there's the second beast who appears like the lamb, has Mm -hmm. two horns. I think people refer to that as the false prophet. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, and so then like you get you get like this culmination of all three of these beasts in like in sixteen, and then like they it seems like that they they die and and like it's like all all of their power is concentrated and then out of the mouth okay so this is the this is what i want to ask the good doctor revelation 16 verse 13 what is your personal interpretation and i saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs <laughs> for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty, the 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 frogs. Yeah, is that given? Like, I mean, I, this has often puzzled me. Is it's that, weird, is that isn't Taking it? <laughs> us back to <laughs> Egypt. That, that's that's what because I on to. the hill, like right on, like on the precipice of that of that verse, you get these seven plagues, right? The seven bowls of, of plagues. Yep. And so it's like I, I don't know. Am I because I am not more deeply rooted in the old testament plagues of the frogs and what the frogs represented and maybe what the frog god was. I mean, right. that's where I'm at. I'm like, I, I just I don't obviously I'm not reading this with my newspaper. Um, but you know, there's got to be a correlation, biblical interpretation here, and it just has Second Plague frogs? Me. I'm sorry?
3: Second plague? Frog second plague? I don't know.
2: See, I don't know. Blood though. to water, I think
3: frogs, then flies, then gnats. You're it, doing better than I would Yeah, bro. Sure. I'm well, slow on my it, plagues. It, it, they go through creation, right? They start it. They
2: start at the earth and they end in the heavens, or right. the water, and they end in the heavens. But this seems frog to be like like yeah. I mean, could, would we be safe to say like is this a demonstration of the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience? Like you got that, the spirit of a frog, I,
0: essentially. I mean, because that's the that's the whole point of this passage, right? Like when you're when you're coming in here and you're reading about you mentioned, um, you've got the dragon, the beast, and the beast. Um, Mimicking in an evil and satanic way yeah. the triune God, right? yes, everything right. in Revelation because he doesn't create, he right. only distorts. He's a false prophet. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He Satan, right. he's not original, right? right. He's yeah. just twisting the things of God. He's really bad um, at creating, and, and you see that even back in the plagues. Like anytime we read frogs in Revelation, we should immediately be thinking back to the plagues. Yeah. Right? What did what did Pharaohs, you know, sorcerers try to do? Mm. Well, we'll make our own stems into snakes. Uh, yeah, right? Yeah. We'll try to mimic the things of God. Um, What are we facing in Christianity in any time, but in 2021 in America, especially it's not an, it's not often an outright rejection. It's, well, you don't understand what God meant by love. You don't understand what God meant by salvation. Mm. You don't understand what God meant by justice. And it is a taking of the things of God and perverting and twisting mm, them. Agree. And mm. it is a satanic mimicking yeah. of good, good and godly things. Mm,
3: absolutely. So I
0: think that's where our minds should absolutely be with those, mm. those spirits going out into the world, the sons of disobedience that are already at work, Second mm. Thessalonians. Mm. I'm with you. Okay. Lawson, move us on. Revelation All right, 20. Revelation
3: 20. You and I had a conversation about this, Josh, not too long ago because Did I we? called you because I, I can't help but read Revelation through the lens of John. Sorry.
2: Who I am, I can he read both. I, mean, I can't help but read it through. You know what, Lin's? I don't want to talk about it. The
1: Exodus. Um, <laughs> surprise can't me. You get away from it, All right. Josh. You yeah. can't get away from it. I'm, I'm with you.
3: <laughs> um, so Revelation 20. Obviously, we're dealing with a thousand years there, um, but there's a question I have in regard to the resurrections. Right. Obviously, there's there's two resurrections that are mentioned here, um, and. I have an argument that I want to make, and I can't remember where we landed on this. <laughs> I have an argument I want to make, and I want to be right. <laughs> uh, I'm going to walk away at it. I'm going to walk out of here thinking I'm right regardless. <laughs> really? So, uh, that's the shocker. point of debate. Yeah, it's right, that's right. Things, right. Just uh, becoming more believe entrenched you. in your <laughs> yeah. unbelief. Yeah. So uh, I'm convinced. No, let's just read it, and then we'll go to John 5. All right.
2: So <laughs> Hurry up. Th- stop.
3: This is the thousand years, right? We're going to start at verse 4. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority, the authority to judge was committed. All I saw. also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshiped the beast or its images and had, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They're, they came, words are hard they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended this is the first resurrection mm-hmm. is this first resurrection conversion I'm going to argue no oh, and I'm going to
0: sympathize I with love you so much all the time and I'm going to sympathize with on where you're going day. let me make my case why I say right. no so first of all and I'm going to have to you guys are going to have to allow me to make a point about the word bound before okay. we leave this passage, okay. remind me. Um, but there's several, you know, when you get when you get a word in scripture that's not used elsewhere, we call it a hapex legomena. Yeah, there's certain phrases that you don't get in scripture either. I bet there's a term I don't know it off the top of my head. But this is this contains several of them. So yeah. first resurrection that that's nowhere else in scripture. We don't have two resurrections referred to elsewhere in the way that they're referred to here. So there's there's several little nuances in the text. Um, so when I go to the things that we can certainly hang our hat on. Um, when we talk about thrones, and especially those seated on thrones in Revelation, it's always a depiction of a heavenly courtroom. Mm. So even starting starting back in the the earlier chapters of Revelation, when John's describing those who are seated on the thrones and the 24 elders, um, the, the heavenly courtroom scene of chapters 4 and 5, you mm-hmm. get consistent references to thrones. And I would say that this is an Old Testament con- con- uh, concept as well, is that it's referring to a heavenly scene. Mm. So initially, I'm thinking here, this is talking about a heavenly scene, but it also says that authority to judge was given. So one of the comforts of the current reign of the saints is that they're given authority to judge. Once again, I'm, I'm lifted up to the heavenly sphere and I'm thinking heavenly courtroom because they're currently exercising that ability to judge. Also, the the marks having uh, been made clear, the mark on the forehead and the hands and being vindicated before the Christ, that has to do with judgment and vindication on before the throne of God. So I would just say like the textual markers that are in there, if we're trying to kind of orient ourselves in that text, my textual bearings point me toward the heavenly throne room of God instead of instead of a, a, an earthly sphere. But I'm going to let you make your argument, because I, I, I get it, and I, I like it. Can I,
2: Lawson, can I give you a verse? Sure. So, Revelation— Are you on my team? Yeah, I'm on Okay, your if team. you're on I my team, team, then Lawson. yes. If you're not I on got my a team, t-shirt. No. <laughs> Revelation 14, 13, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. I do believe, right, in a spiritual resurrection, right, in which absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen. I personally believe that the the text here back in 20 is, and the rest of the dead, those are the dead outside of Christ, Mm -hmm. did not come to life. And so there seems to be that life eternal has begun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but yet apart from us, they will not be made perfect but altogether, we will be made perfect, which yeah. is the glorified state entering into the consummation of the kingdom.
3: Yeah, and so, so that, that's where obviously I agree with that. I think that's really helpful because the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. I think that's where you see that second resurrection, which is where all the dead raised mm-hmm. bodily. And I think that bodily resurrection that we're considering is the moment where, right, you're either cast into the lake of fire or that you are eternally with the Father, enjoying his presence forevermore. So when you say, so when you're referring to the rest of the dead. Well, Verse five. Myself.
0: Yeah, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years. Where you're saying that that
3: includes uh, saved that's, and unsaved. I think that's everyone. Okay, yeah. It, okay. Bodily resurrection. Front, so you. so the reason, I, the reason I say that is because of John... Of course, my, where I had it bookmarked. Anyway, so John 5, really verses 20 and following. Um, you see this really interesting. I mean, John 5 is a, just an astonishing chapter of Scripture. If there's ever question of Jesus' claimed to be divine, you go to John 5, and everybody has to be quiet. Um, Jesus is very clearly the Son of God, is God himself, demands to be honored just as the Father is honored. But then if you, if you look at um, verse 25, he says, Verse 25, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. It's like the correlation there that I have, right, is that um, the dead who hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So verse Mm -hmm. 25, that hour is coming. It's now here. So this is the hour that has arrived. And since this hour has arrived, when the dead hear the voice of the Son of God, those who hear will live. So there's a life that's bestowed on, on the hearing of the son of God, right? Right. There is a, it's kind of conditional there. You see though. And then if you go down, um, if you go down to verse 27 and following, it says, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man, which by the way, I think really does correlate back to John twelve thirty-one, And obviously I would say revelation 12 do not marvel at this for an hour is coming. So it's not here yet. When all who hear are in the tomb when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. So he's not saying that there's some people. He's saying all who are dead, they will be raised. And when they hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection in life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. To me, that's that day of judgment. That's the day of the Lord that we're looking forward to there. And so I've always whenever I come to Revelation twenty, and I I, I mean I remember hitting that seeing that in Revelation twenty and just being like Yeah. Oh, wow, this is the first resurrection. And the first resurrection is experienced um, by those whose souls have been converted. They enter into eternal life right then, and the second death has no authority over them, which goes into Jesus' statement, I am the resurrection of the life, right? There's that weird, not weird, but you kind of see the man— split up in some degree, right? Well, he'll hear and he will not die. The death will have no authority over him. Mm-hmm. And if he believes, he will never die. Mm-hmm. So one speaks of a bodily death and one speaks of a spiritual death. The spiritual death will never be had by the Christian. Mm-hmm. but The bodily death will come, but the second death, mm-hmm. no authority over him. Right. And so that's where I am. No, I got you. I would
0: say, I think we could agree on this to try to find some common ground Yeah, there. Let's, be, let's be common. Because I'm trying to think of, there's there was one famous church historian that took, or church theologian that took your view I don't
3: know whoever he was. He was right. He was right too. Okay. That's
0: fair. <laughs> no, like, I but know you
1: have a PhD. <laughs> I said at a holiday Inn last night. Big <laughs> facts. <laughs> no, okay.
0: but common ground. So when I read that text, we could at least agree that in view, I would say in total view, you would probably, I think agree at least in partial view are those saints who are gathered around the throne in heaven. Um, in the intermediate state, awaiting yeah, exactly. final vindication mm-hmm. and uh, and judgment of the wicked, who are gathered around his throne, crying yes, out, "How absolutely. long, oh Lord? Absolutely, you are that's, there. That's at that's least in yeah. you, right? Absol- yeah. no, absolutely, I'd and say. That's, yeah, that's yeah, hardcore. Yeah, when we're when we're reading this, I think that's <laughs> yeah. that's a. I think so we're on Josh's So if you team. think about,
3: so if you think, <laughs> <laughs> so if you think about this, here's here's the, here's the scene. Here's the scene. All the saints of God are alive. In yeah. a true sense, yeah. right? Because the, yes. the first resurrection has come. Second resurrection has no authority over them. They, they're united with their bodies again, and they say, those, those are the wicked. Yeah. Those are the wicked who have persecuted us, who have waged war against us, who has blasphemed your name, and we will clap as he throws them into the lake yeah, of Yeah, that's a large view, apocalyptic
0: tapestry, yes, right. if you will, yeah. Yeah. right? And absolutely. the church will celebrate.
2: Yeah. absolutely. All right. Oh. Kind of it's point out my thing about bound. Yes, yeah. it
0: totally doesn't fit the flow of this conversation. It's all right. but I, I have care. to.
3: I have to mention. It. There is no flow. It's just I never. I never hear this. Wait, what? There is no flow. We just do what we want. Oh, Okay, <laughs> please. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm Don's offended. I have four kids. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, um, no, but here when he
0: says, uh, "I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit." I'm back in Revelation 20 and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, the devil. Uh, that ancient serpent, and he bound him for a thousand years. When we think of Satan having been bound, if I was to go ask most Christians, "Is mm-hmm. Satan bound?" they would confidently say no. Yeah, agree. Right? Satan's obviously not bound, um, and, and for all the reasons we mentioned earlier—the evilness, the wickedness, the all the turmoil, just the normal travails of life in in this world—that that I suffer. Satan's not bound, and yet Christ, when he was explaining why he didn't do uh, miracles by the power of Satan, mm. in Matthew 12 is my, my favorite, but it's on all the synoptics and in John. Um, he says that, I had to bind the strong man in mm-hmm. order to plunder his house. Yeah. Mm. It's one of the clearest passages, the word bound is the same Greek verb that John then picks up in Revelation chapter yep. 20. And He's Christ, when he's explaining himself, says, you want to know how I'm casting out demons? No one can plunder a strong man's house unless he binds, ties up, mm. restrains that mm. strong man, mm. so that he can then plunder his yeah. goods. Mm. What did Christ do throughout his earthly ministry? He was binding and throwing out demons. Ultimately, binding and throwing out the large demon and charge himself sin. Yeah. Mm. Um, and he did this to liberate the captives right. and to set those yeah. free. Mm. And I, I just I think that's a that's a theme that we uh, it gives comfort yeah. to a
3: Christian that mm-hmm. needs it. Yeah, it makes me think of transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Yes.
2: Yeah. All right, so in conclusion, I have a Bible verse. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So I'd like to thank my fellow elders, Blake McCullough and Lawson Harlow for the time spent today on the show. And especially thank the good doctor for discussing the nighttime sniffling, sneezing, aching coughing, <laughs> stuffy head fever, so you can rest medicine. My brothers and my friends, Godspeed. I don't get it.